Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin, and I'm joined alongside my partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, my friend? Pretty good, Brendan. Excited for the show. Oh, me too, my man. We got we got a lot to talk about, and you know we're coming off of a, a crazy week nine. It was riddled with upsets when NFL and NCA. The AFC, as of right now, it's it's looking wide open, especially after the the powerhouse Buffalo Bills were knocked off by the Jacksonville Jaguars, who you know haven't won a game in America for over a year. So that kind of puts things in perspective. the The Browns brought the Bengals back to earth when they you know put a walloping on them. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the Bengals being on top of the AFC. They lose back-to-back games to the Jets and the Browns. Uh, the Raiders, another team we were talking about to have an AFC t- uh, chance, they just lost to the Giants. So everything is looking open for the AFC right now. As for the NFC, you know, the, yeah, the Cardinals were able to pull out a win with Colt McCoy under center. So NFC is looking a little bit more... Um, designated to two to three teams while the AFC is looking like there could be six teams going going you know fighting for that AFC title I'm excited for for what's to come in week 10 it's it we're getting to that turning point where each and every game is really important especially with college football we got we got three weeks left and every game matters when it comes to ranking and getting into the playoffs but before we get into everything Ed I want you to tell our guests what we have going on for them right now yeah, we got a little promotion going. Uh, it's with uh, Shields Sports Store. It's a sports store. It's, it's expanding all over the country. It's in Texas. It's in Colorado. Um, it's in some other states. And they're they're a great sports store. It's kind of like uh, all kinds of different types of sporting goods. And they got a good atmosphere. And they treat their employees well. And employees like working there. But we've got a little swag bag from them. And we'd like to give it out. So what I'll do is uh, if you could email our... Uh, email address we have a new email address uh where you can email and it's a contest and the contest is to essentially say who you think should be the first pick in the draft and just write a paragraph and whoever has the best paragraph uh will be delivered you know we'll let you know you won and we'll uh deliver you the bag send it to you so the the email to send it to is blitzcast nfl draft at gmail.com and i'll say it again it's blitzcast nfldraft at gmail.com and i'll say it one more time just if you didn't get it it's blitzcast nfldraft at gmail.com so looking forward to hearing your responses awesome thank you so much for that ed yeah i'm i'm super excited to to hear what you guys think and have to say about who you think the number one overall pick should be you know i have my opinions but i'd like to hear what everybody else is thinking ed i wanted to kick it off kick it off with something hot we got obj odell beckham jr being released by the Cleveland Browns, and he he cleared all the waiver wires. So Odell is a free agent right now for the first time in his career. And, you know, being a Browns fan, this is one that I've done a lot of thinking about. I'm happy about it. I'm happy about it. I've come to the conclusion that this was the right move. I I will not discredit Odell in any way, shape, or form because I, I will argue and I'll defend that that man is still one of the more talented receivers in football, I agree that he was not a good system fit, but I will also defend my quarterback, Baker Mayfield. I don't think this had anything to do with Baker Mayfield's inability to play with Odell. This is just, it was a chemistry issue. There was, it was nothing personal. 
it, it's just the way that the Browns offense runs and operates with a timing and rhythm. It's just, it just does not fit Odell's play style. We kind of saw the the feeling towards Odell shift, at least with Kevin Stefanski and higher up with the Browns. You know, all the all the teammates were supporting him, but throughout this uh, through this whole process, we we heard that Kevin Stefanski and OBJ had really no communication. So Ed, I just wanted to get your opinion. Was this the right thing to do for the Browns? I, I honestly do, and I, I don't think you know he was worth the money to them uh, that they were paying him. And they, they, they have other options. I mean, there are other guys on this team that they can go with. I mean, you got Jarvis Landry in the slot. You know, Anthony Schwartz is showing some things. Um, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, you know, the, the, the you know Rashard Higgins. I mean, Higgins isn't having a great year. But, I mean, there's, there's other options on this Cleveland Browns football team to get the football to. So, I don't... I don't think that this is a huge loss. I think this team is actually better without him. I've seen many times, I've been a sports fan my whole life, I've seen many times where teams go and lose that superstar player who was really a cancer in the locker room and go and win a, win a championship. Honestly, honestly, if, if you ask me, I, I think the Cleveland Browns did the right thing. You know what? OBJ has always been kind of a guy who, you know, he, he started off really good in his career, right? Like he was, he was the fastest to... 4,000 receiving yards and 200 receptions, right? He he st- started off, but to be honest with you, I think I think a certain part of his career, his, his head got big, and, you know, he, he got to be, you know, kind of more about himself. He became less of a team guy, and now I, I, I think it's time to move on from those guys because, to be honest with you, there's a lot of talent in that Cleveland locker room, and they don't need, they don't need him. I agree with you, Ed, 100%. This was the right thing to do for the Cleveland Browns, and you know, you can go back. I don't I don't know exactly what number it was, but when I was just a guest on this show with uh with Alex as the host, I was saying that Donovan Peoples Jones is ready to be a number one receiver. I, I said it so confidently and I, I said he will be the starting receiver on the Browns within the next year or so. And you know, a lot of people did not agree with that, but he showed it last week. He has as of right now, he has the highest yards per catch with the minimum uh uh, attempts required or targets required in the en- entire NFL. Last week he, you know, he had that same. Um, he scored on that same touchdown that he did last year against the Titans on that play action where he absolutely just burns the guy over the top for 65 yards. So I think that Donovan Peoples Jones is honestly more than ready enough to be that guy that they wanted Odell to be. I really, really think that. Um, and obviously Jarvis Landry this season he's been hurt quite a bit but at the same time he, he's still that guy you can rely on third down in the slot like if if you really need a guy to come down with the ball whether he's in traffic big point of the game you have Jarvis Landry there and I don't want to leave out any anybody from that uh, tight end room because the tight ends have actually been the best receivers for the Cleveland Browns this year um, David Njoku has really kind of gotten a bigger role in this offense and Austin Hooper as of the last three weeks, I'd say, since that Denver game has really taken off. And even last week against the Bengals uh, was the most involvement we saw out of Harrison Bryant. So I, I really think that they utilized everybody they could last week just to show we don't need Odell. And like you said, he is not worth that money. The Browns had the second most expensive wide receiver room in the NFL. And even being a Browns fan, I think we should... we like. The, for the production we have, it should be bottom 10. It really should, but obviously we're making really good 
good decisions with the money that we saved getting rid of OBJ, just extended Joel Bitono and Wyatt Teller within the same week. That's two of the three best guards in football, you know, arguably. To be able to lock them down, getting rid of OBJ, it's I think the Browns are in a much better position even this week than they were two weeks ago with all the stuff going on with OBJ. And I would also like to point out that I really think it was a deeper-rooted problem with the OBJ situation that did not necessarily get out because, you know, we... And we kind of knew that OBJ's role was kind of going to change when he came to the Browns. He was going to be more of a run blocker. He was going to be a team player. Everybody says they're willing to be a team player. But at the end of the day, a guy like OBJ that is that talented, he's going to want to have the ball. And I, I, I think that started to cause, you know, ish, they're just the relationship was not there late in late in the se- this season. Seeing, seeing his interactions with players on the sideline, especially Baker, there was just no no communication, no excitement. There was no relationship with them anymore. And so Kevin Stefanski and OBJ not having any contact within this whole situation kind of shows me that this was going to turn into a much deeper problem if we didn't get it out of here while it was, you know, while the problem was evident. So I think this was a fantastic move by the Cleveland Browns, but Ed, this this leaves OBJ as a free agent, this is still one of the, like I said, this is one of the more talented receivers in the NFL. It didn't work out for the Browns, but I really think if he's in the right system, he's going to thrive. And Ed, I wanted to get your opinion. Where do you think his best landing spots are and where do you think he does land up? So the interesting thing is I I thought that, you know, someone would claim him off of waivers, but it doesn't look like, it looks like he's going to pass waivers and so what 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 happens next is I think uh I think a Seattle would be a really good landing spot for him. I think Seattle's going to get uh you know Russell Wilson back and I think they want to make a push for the playoffs, right? That's a team that's going to put up with uh his you know nonsense, right? Because they <laughs> they've got a strong team culture, right? Um I think I think OBJ is going to like it. You know, he's made his money in the league and now he wants to you know, go, go, maybe not just win, but also go to a comfortable climate and go to a comfortable environment. And Seattle is that comfortable environment. So, um, you know, he's going to be playing next to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Um, so, you know, he'll be asked to be that number three and that's, that's a place he can really shine. I mean, he can, they can have a one, two, three combo that compares, I mean, maybe to the Cowboys, maybe even, you know, when you get those three together and it maybe be better than the Cowboys, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if you're if you're that top contender at this point, I don't think you want him. I don't think you touch him. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from with that last statement. If you're a top contender, you don't necessarily want to bring something in that can, you know, sacrifice maybe the what you, the culture you have going on in the locker room or the chemistry. Um, I, I'm, I don't disagree with you. I think Seattle would be an excellent fit. You know, you'd definitely like to see Russell Wilson back in the lineup if, if he's going to be going there. But I think Russ is on pace to be coming back incredibly soon. So I, that would be dangerous. I really think it would. I, I don't know if I see that happening, although I really do like it. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's just there's so many teams right now that he could go to. But we all know that he's going to go to a team that at least has somewhat of a chance to compete. Um, some other other teams that have been thrown around are the Packers, the Saints, even the Chiefs have been in discussion. And, you know, the only team that I really, the thing is the Saints need him more than any other team right now in the league, I think. I think the Saints desperately need a receiver, like just a playmaking receiver, somebody that could go kind of play some more freestyle football. And 
That's that's why he didn't work with the Browns. He played freestyle, and I think the Saints could really benefit from having a guy that you know could can maybe just take over games for you if you let him be that guy. Um, I the Saints offense is, you know, it's 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 about getting the ball to guys quickly and stuff like that. So if you get him on these slants and give him the opportunity to make the plays, I think this could be a good spot for OBJ because they've had some serious issues at the wide receiver position. My only concern for the Saints is they are just in such an ugly cap situation. I mean, every single year, but right now I truly don't even know if they could afford OBJ. It just, it all depends on what OBJ wants. And a team that I I like for him, I really do, is the Packers. I like the Packers for him a lot. I mean, because the Packers, they have the guys like Alan Lazard and um, they always have solid, you know, twos and threes. But if you can pair a guy like OBJ to Devontae Adams, I really, really think that 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 OBJ could really thrive being that dominant number two because those guys they get a lot of they get a lot of playing time. Like Alan Lazard last week, he had a good game. They they get very high amounts of playing time. So to see OBJ be a legitimate number two, because we know in Cleveland number two is more like a number four or something like that with the amount of targets you're gonna get because we we're such a tight end heavy use team and the Packers really haven't used Robert Tunyon that much this year. So with with the year Aaron Rodgers is having just I kind of feel his personality matching very well with Aaron Rodgers as well. They're, you know, they're guys that are very confident in their own ability to play the sport. So I almost think having two guys that are very sold on themselves would would benefit the Packers. Um, that's my favorite spot for him. But there's been some uh, a team that, as of today, that I've heard is making an incredibly, incredibly strong push for him. And that is the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick wants Odell Beckham Jr. on his roster, and he wants him now. And I've I've heard that OBJ wants to be on a team, and he wants to be suited up for Sunday. Could you imagine, Ed, if OBJ gets picked up by the Patriots? And guess who the Patriots are playing this week? They're playing the Cleveland Browns. So, Ed, what, what are your thoughts on OBJ potentially being a New England Patriot? Well, we've seen it before with the Patriots. I mean, we saw it with Randy Moss. We saw it with... Antonio Brown, and now we see it with OBJ. To be honest with you, between the three of those, I think I'm not I'm not saying talent wise he's as good as those two, but he's he's less of a headache than those two. And so if Bill is willing to take the risk on those guys, I I, I mean I, I'm sure I'm sure Bill Bill has a plan for how he's gonna over you know deal with OBJ, and you know that could be a great combination. I mean he you know Bill will know how to use him. Um, I just if I'm the Patriots, I I don't know if that's really who I want right now. Like I I really like where the Patriots offense is right now. I mean, to be honest with you, like if I'm going to make a move right now, I'm going to try to get a defensive player, right? Like that's the defensive side of the ball is where they need help. I think that New England still is lacking a true true number 1 wide receiver and even even just depth at the receiving position. So I I think if you you don't necessarily have these guys that are, like I said, playmaking playmaking guys. And Mac Jones, he's shown that he's been really good at just getting the ball out quickly and getting it to people that are open. And, you know, if, if OBJ is as open as everybody in the media is saying all the time, this should be a match made in heaven, right? Like, I, I, I honestly think that if OBJ can be in a quick strike delivery, like almost dink and dunk offense, that might be what he needs just to give him the ball, feed him the ball, get him involved in the game plan. Because 
obviously he d- he does not like being a run blocker. He doesn't, and I can't blame him because you know he he does have the talent to be a game breaking receiver. Still, I really truly believe that, but um, it's just a matter of fact of getting the ball. But Ed, that that would be unreal if he was a- if he suited up as a as a Patriot this week. And I honestly, I think that this matchup between between the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots is going to be a really close one. I'm I'm confident in my Browns. I do think the Browns will pull this victory out. In New England, though, it's not going to be easy. Ed, how do you see this game panning out? Uh, I mean, I th- I think when when you when you kind of match up both sides. I mean, for one thing, you know when when the Patriots have the ball. You know, you got good good offense versus good defense, and obviously, you know, good offense beats good defense in today's NFL. But you know that that Cleveland Browns defense is going to be able to slow down the Patriots' offense. The other side of it, though, is when the Browns have the ball. I don't, I don't know necessarily how, um, you know, they're going to slow them down. I mean, certainly, you know, a big advantage is you know Nick Chubb is 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 you know not 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 on the healthy side right now. Right, so that's that's an advantage. But you know, Kareem Hunt is on the IR, right? So that's you know they don't have it in the running back room. But to be honest with you, I mean, if Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's look good. I mean, he's he's been hurt, but he looks good right now. So to be honest with you, I I I, I take Baker Mayfield throwing the ball at the end of the game, and I think I think the the Browns win it on the last possession. Ed, you know how to make me happy, don't you, dude? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to make you happy, especially with the Steelers competing the way they are. No, I get you. I get you. But no, I I agree with you. This is, and I will say, um, Nick Chubb, as of right now, he he still has a chance to play on Sunday. I would not be optimistic towards it, though. If Nick Chubb's playing, I hands down say that the, this is a Browns victory. But I they what the not many people are mentioning is. Demetric Felton and John Kelly as well are out. So literally the only running, if, if all of them are ineligible to play Sunday, the Cleveland Browns have one active running back on the roster. So that it's, it's well, they'll, really, they'll, they'll bring another guy up. I mean, Oh yeah. I, there, I mean, there's they'll, been, they'll, they'll get a practice squad guy. So there will be a body, but I mean, <laughs> to be honest with you, well, I just, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you know what, to be honest with you, you put me back there. Well, maybe not me, but you know, you put you put you put you put, you know, someone who's played college football and you put him in front of Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna get yards, right? No, absolutely. And there's a reason why why the Browns just paid paid those boys. I mean, they, they deserve it. Those are two of the best run blocking football players in the NFL. And uh like you said, dude, you could put anybody back there and they're gonna succeed. I don't wanna uh Johnson though Dearness Johnson, that that Denver game when he got his first start, um, according to PFF, was like significantly better than he should have been. He had like seventy yards over expected. He also just gives that still playmaking ability. He's really good at re- making cuts and reading where he needs to go, and he's good once he gets into the secondary. He's not the fastest guy. He's really not, but he's just he's really smart when he's running the football. He's he's got Nick Chubb esque cutting. I, I really think that the Browns are still in a good situation to win with how good Baker Mayfield played last week. Um, it was such a good, good rebound game from that not-so-great Steelers. And he didn't even play bad in that Steelers loss. That was a very bad game by the rest of the Cleveland Browns, but he really didn't play bad. And in that Bengals game, he was the second-highest-graded quarterback in football. So I, I think I think May, uh, Mayfield really can win this game throwing it. 
I like I like the matchups that uh, Cleveland has with uh, with New England secondary. Even though New England secondary played really well last last week against um, the Panthers, so both teams coming off of a great win. I do see I do see Baker Mayfield winning this one with his arm, though. I agree with you, Ed. Yeah, I, I mean this is this is going to be a good game and knock down, drag him out. I do want to say I do want to say I really like what Mac Jones is doing. I mean he's when when you say rookie of the year, I. I I don't know who else I would put as rookie of the year other than Mac Jones. I mean, oh, Jamar Chase. I got. I got to. Oh, Jamar. Jamar Chase. You you know what though? I I would. To be honest with you, if I were voting, I would vote for Mac Jones. Okay. Okay. I I will say this: my brownies did make Jamar Chase look not too great last week. It was the worst game of his career, but. I get where you're coming from because this is there's no great way to put it. The rookie quarterbacks are not playing great this year, and, and that's expected. Rookies they're always struggling. Justin Fields he had a great great game last week. Actually, the last two weeks he's looked pretty dang good. The offensive line just gives him no help as well as that game plan. But Mac Jones is the only quarterback that I he genuinely looks like a veteran at times. He's just smart, decisive. He gets rid of the ball fast. He's done it at times where he's taken a beating. He knows he's gonna get hit, but he still delivers. Uh, I, I really think for what he's done as a quarterback is really impressive, you know, in this league, especially taking over the role of Tom Brady. That's not an easy thing to do. And the Patriots are still in the, in, in a hunt for the playoffs. They are still in a playoff hunt. So they're five and four. They're sitting at the same record as the Browns. People talk about the Browns like they are a top 10 team and the Patriots have the exact same record as them. They're they're making a push for the wild card. So, you know, if, if Mac Jones continues to ball out and if, if teams kind of continue to work Jamar Chase like they did and have success with him one-on-one like the Browns did, Mac Jones might be able to make a push in this back half of the season. I That's the only other pl- – I think it's absolutely between Mac Jones and Jamar Chase. Those are the only two people that can be in the conversation. Ed, I wanted to uh, I wanted to let you take over. Why don't you uh, Why don't you bring on our first guest for the show? I'd like to welcome J.D. Dorenzo, All American offensive lineman from Sacred Heart. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. What does it mean to be you to be a two time All Conference offensive lineman? At a position where there's not a lot of recognition, you know, to receive such a great honor at the end of the year, you know, it's like something really special position where you only get recognized for your mistakes mostly so at the end of the season you know being named all conference um and backpack years you know it just uh represents like all the hard work I, all the hard work i put in and you know it's really just a great honor are you more proud to be an fcs all-american um yeah i'd say like that honor i mean being all conference is awesome but like being recognized among the best players in the nation you know that's something that uh that, you know, all conference, you know, can't really compare to that, even though it is a great honor. But being an All-American is, it's uh, pretty surreal. What's the best feature of Sacred Heart football? Just like the tradition that we've built. Um, it's a winning tradition. It's something where, you know, we're a family. And no matter what, no matter, you know, how down we're feeling at the time, if we're down the game, if we're, we've lost a couple games back to back, you know, we're always there to pick each other up and you know our head coach um coach Nofrey, you know he's done a great job of just building that throughout the years and i think at this point it's become so strong that um there's almost nothing that we can't overcome as a team so i'd say our, our tradition is probably the 
the best thing about Sacred Heart football. What's your response to the Kashidas Spence shooting? Uh, that was just a horrible, you know, event that occurred. He was one of the best players to ever come through here. Um, and even even besides that, he was a great person. I've only um, met him one time when he, he spoke to our team before a spring game I saw from the year. And you could just tell like he the energy that he had and um, the leadership that he exhibited like when talking to us. Um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to play with a player like that, um, to have someone like that behind you. Um, and I know all the coaches, all the players that have played with him, you know, they all loved him. And it was just, uh, it was such a, such a terrible thing that happened. Um, but we wear uh, his number on the back of our helmets this year mm-hmm. to honor him the best we can. Um, his family came to uh, one of our games and we had, you know, a whole highlight reel before and before the game, we honored him that way, you know, just doing everything we can to, uh, to really remember what a great player and person he was. What does Malik Grant mean to your team? You're running back. Uh, he's, he's just the type of guy that no matter what, he's going to do everything he can to help the team win. Um, you know, we had our, all-American, Walter Payne finalist, um, Julius Chestnut, go down the first game of the year. And, you know, a lot of people were, you know, writing us off at that point, you know, how are we going to recover from losing our best player? And not a lot of people believed in Malik, but, you know, the core guys that mattered, we all did. And Malik believed in himself. And just the work that he did through those weeks um, was just unbelievable. I mean, he was leading the league in rushing until this past game. I think he's like, he's still top three, but every single week he's better and better and better. He never gets complacent. He's always, you know, um, staying humble and just working harder and trying to get better. And um, playing with him is is honestly a blessing. Um, He's like one of my favorite players I've ever played with. And uh, it's been an honor to watch him grow throughout the year. What kind of leader is Marquez McRae? Oh, Marquez, he's, you know, he just, after, uh, so after um, we went two and three, we dropped the game to Howard that we were winning. Marquez, he came to the locker room and he kind of just opened up to us and, you know, told us how much this team mattered to him. And even though we had just had two back-to-back, you know, really demoralizing losses, um, he was going to take accountability and we all had to take accountability and we were going to do everything we could to get better and get back on track. And, you know, he said that he was going to lead us through that. And, you know, that's exactly what he did. We won uh, four games in a row um, going for five this weekend. So having him as a quarterback and as a leader has been a key to our success this year. What made you want to go north to Sacred Heart from being from New Jersey? Yeah, so I didn't have, you know, a ton of offers out of high school. Mm-hmm. I had a decent amount, but Sacred Heart, Sacred Heart, um, when the coaches came to recruit me, specifically Coach Johnny Smith, the line coach, there was just like something different about him that kind of drew me in. Um, he was more like, he was more of like a friend than he was like, than he, than he appears like a coach and like someone who, you know, was just like all about business and just trying to get me to help him win games. He kind of wanted to bring me into his family and, you know, 
see me grow as a player and like help me through that. And, you know, having him um, there and then meeting Coach Nofri and seeing the campus and the whole coaching staff, that like family environment, like the tradition that they had already, that they were building, I could see it. And I just wanted to be a part of it. You know, it was all about the people there. What's the most your offensive line coaches taught you? Man, there's so much. Um, I came in as a freshman only running a wing T offense, so I didn't know much about pass blocking or uh, zone schemes, inside outside zone. Um, you know, he taught me pretty much everything I know about that. But uh, uh, I say probably the biggest thing he taught me was, you know, to not be complacent. Um, and to not be afraid to fail. And, you know, that's something that, like, has always, you know, uh, held heavy with me throughout my years here. Um, it's something that I've always probably just, like, kept with me when I'm playing. I always remember that he said that. And um, he's just pushed me year in, year out to become a better player, you know. I wouldn't be where I am today without him. Like, I know that for a fact. Um, I'm so grateful to have played for him. And everything that he's taught me has, you know, got me to where I am now. Is Sacred Heart a Jesuit school? Uh, yes, it is. Catholic uh, Jesuit school, yeah. What role does faith play in your football career? Um, I've also I've always been I'm a Catholic and I've always been a very religious person. Um, you know I try to go to church every Sunday. It's harder now because on Sundays you know we have film and conditioning and uh, listening after games, so I don't have much time to. But um, it's something you know I hold I hold um god he's very like high in my life and i you know i pray a lot um i thank him a lot and you know i pray for him to help me succeed and i've always been like heavy in my face um i've gone to Catholic school pretty much my whole entire life so those are values that i've been raised and taught and you know brought up with so i'd say that faith does hold a big role in my life and in my football career just you know i, I rely on the man upstairs you know help me keep growing and succeed what do you bring to an nfl offensive line in the future um i think i bring a a very aggressive uh mindset um you know i've never been anyone to back down from anyone um i think that i uh bring you know good athleticism i can move well pretty fast um but i think most of all i bring a a great work ethic um you know it's something i've always tried my best to never be complacent and to just get better every single year you know Mm -hmm. i'm never happy but i think that's something that i i could bring is that i'm always going to constantly improve you know i'm never going to stop trying to get better and like i'll never believe that i hit my ceiling i always think that i can do more and more Well, J.D., thanks for being on the show. Good luck to you this year. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. I wanted to thank you so much, J.D. Dorenzo, for joining the show, All-American Tackle. Um, It was a pleasure having you. So thank you for doing that interview with Ed. And, Ed, I wanted to uh, continue off with one last thing in the NFL, and that was Jordan Love's first career start. We all know that Aaron Rodgers kind of had that whole situation going on Jordan Love ended up getting the start. Rodgers wasn't eligible to play. So I what did you think of that? It was against the Kansas City Chiefs who have been struggling. I you know, I didn't I didn't get too much out of it. It was it was it was an average start for me, you know? It was it was his first career start. So what did you get out of that, Ed? 
I mean, average, I think, is being nice. I, I didn't think he had a very good start at all. Um, he threw one touchdown pass. Uh, they had a total offense of seven points the whole game. Um, the Chiefs' defense is not very good. Um, I think he had a quarterback rating in the 60s. Um, in today's NFL, that's not impressive. Um, he wasn't efficient at all, 19 for 34. So um, the thing the thing that happened was is the Chiefs' Steve Spagnolo. He blitzed the heck out of Jordan Love, and I think I think he just couldn't he couldn't handle the blitz. And so, uh, if you can't handle the blitz, uh, you can't play quarterback in the NFL. Everyone everyone struggles under pressure, but um, I, I I think they they took they took advantage of the young quarterback. And um, yeah, I mean it 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 can only go up from here for Jordan Love. Yeah, I mean it it was a good game plan by the Chiefs. You know, if you're if you're young. Absolutely, you want to pressure him. Make him as uncomfortable as possible. Get that man up to game speed because the NFL is a lot faster. So it it was it was a little underwhelming, but you know they they say as a backup you have to train like you're gonna start every week. You know, um, a lot of a lot of former players even say it's harder to be a backup in the NFL because you you have to train like you're gonna start. And you could go potentially two years without doing it, and then boom, they call your name, and you better you better be in there like. You you get you have to execute. It's as simple as that. So um, I think this was kind of a yeah. It was it was kind of a tough showing for his first career start and being being behind uh, in that system for over a year already. You would have kind of maybe liked to see a little bit more of his his just what Jordan Love can do. It was a very generic looking quarterback. There was no identity to his game, and um, obviously that's going to be hard against a team that's getting successful pressure on you, but. Like I said, you've been in that system. You've been behind Rodgers, although we don't know how much of a mentor Rodgers is necessarily. But you're still you're in an NFL program, still learning. So um, it was a little bit underwhelming. And I will say, Ed, the, the Packers win that game by 14-plus points if Aaron Rodgers is playing. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's a that's a win, especially with the way the Packers defense shut down the Chiefs offense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean it's it's it just it's so the timing, of course, right? Because this is another almost guaranteed loss for the Chiefs if Aaron Rodgers is playing because he's been one of the best quarterbacks in football this year. Meanwhile, the Chiefs are still trying to figure out all of their struggles. So we would we would really like to see. Um, you know, I personally, as a Browns fan, wouldn't like to see it, but I kind of want to see. The Chiefs, how they figure this situation out. They're still, they may have been like scraping wins, uh, you know. They have not had a clean, clear-cut, you know, just bully a team win. And that's that's just not something we're used to seeing out of the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, the Packers, they're going to come back next week and, you know, probably win by 15. Aaron Rodgers is not going to be too happy with not being able to play this week. So we know he's going to redeem himself. And we don't know how the Chiefs are going to respond to this one. This they this is a this is a win on the on the win loss column, but I don't know if this is a moral win, and I don't know how many moral wins they've had this season. But Ed, enough with the NFL talk. We got college football, baby, and it's cutting it close to college football playoff time. And one team you and I have been talking about quite a bit this year because we just can't get enough of them. We're intrigued. We're rooting for them, and I think a big part of America is rooting for him, and that's the Cincinnati Bearcats. Dang it, Ed, we want to see this team in the college football playoffs. We want to see them in there, and with with how close it's coming, 
it doesn't look like they're getting they're getting that much favoritism. And with the with the la- the game last week against Tulsa, they just did not make it. They did not help themselves out. They didn't hurt, help their case. And Cincinnati's just put in a tougher situation because all of these teams that have proven themselves consistently, like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, they they get in based off the pass. You know, Cincinnati has to play mistake-free football from here on out if they want a chance. Meanwhile, these teams with one losses, they're getting in. Ed, what is what has to happen for Cincinnati to get in? And at the end of the day, do you think Cincinnati gets into the college football playoffs? I do believe they're going to get in. I mean, the, this is me being hopeful, but I I I, I do believe they're going to get in. Here's here's the reason why. There's only four teams with no losses, right? And uh, you know, Oregon has one loss, right? So uh, I mean, you know. You got you got Alabama who's got one loss, but I mean you could probably equivalent one loss in Alabama as uh, Cincinnati. So if Cincinnati runs the table, <clears throat> if Cincinnati runs the table, you have to think that uh, they they're going to get in, right? But it's like a game of chicken, right? Because even though they may run the table, right, they're going to have the weakest schedule, and so if they lose just one game, they're out of it, right? They're out of it completely. But I do believe. With all the criticism, with the way Cincinnati has showed up the last few years, um, with all the controversy around UCF, I do think the committee would be smart to put UC, to put uh, Cincinnati in and give them a chance. So I do believe they if, if, if Cincinnati solidifies and runs the table, they will get in. No, I, I agree. With, and you, you have to let them in, right? I mean, it's, it's just such a huge ask for them to go undefeated and for – an entire season and not make the college football playoffs. Meanwhile, they, they've beaten a, a ranked Notre Dame. This is a team that has proven that they can compete with the best of the best in college football. Um, I think it would be an incredible, incredible disservice to Cincinnati if they go undefeated and don't make it in. It's just unfortunate that, you know, their standards are held higher because we know how these, these power five teams get favored. And so Cincinnati has a much bigger to-do list, I guess you can say, to get in the playoffs. I mean, these other teams, necess- they pretty much just have to come out with wins. And I, I know that they say quality wins, you know, they, they, they matter. I, I get it. It's not their fault that they don't have the toughest schedule. And it, it's, they didn't blow Tulsa out of the water. But do you know how hard it is to just go and blow a team out every single week, regardless, regardless of who the opponent is? for 12 weeks straight to go and just absolutely blow them out. It's it's impossible. Alabama can't even do it. Alabama lost this year. It's it's impossible. So to ask Cincinnati to do that is just it's so unfair. So if Cincinnati does go undefeated 100%, 100% they have to get in. Ed, I want I want to know, do you think if if Cincinnati does get in, do they genuinely compete with these playoff teams? I mean, if Depending on who gets in, can they compete with? I don't think they can compete with Georgia. But how do they match up with Ohio State, Alabama, even if Oklahoma was in? How do they match up with any of these teams that they might be going up against in the playoffs? Well, I have to say that I mean they're going to be the fourth seed. I mean they're going to be they're going to be the underdog, and you know let's say they're the four, and then they play the one, right? Which the one will probably oh, gosh. Be, the yeah. the one will probably be Georgia or Alabama, right? I mean, 
Um, it could be another team, but uh, I mean, I'm I, 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 I'm gonna guess it's one of those two teams. And Georgia, you know, and it's kind of whoever wins the SEC. And you you can imagine that, uh, you know, Georgia. Georgia's played, you know, plays tough teams. They beat tough teams. They shut teams down. They don't have the quarterback. You know, they don't have the, you know, Trevor Lawrence quarterback. But uh, Georgia, Georgia's defense is is legendary. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's actually legendary. <laughs> um, so uh, I I would say I would say Cincinnati will have a hard time in the playoffs. I hate to admit it, but I mean, my heart, my heart has got to root for these guys. I want to see, I want to see a non-power five conference team do this. Um, and you know, I, I think, I mean, can we put it this way? Even though they have a harder schedule, I mean, the other side of it is, is that you know, it's harder to recruit at Cincinnati, right? Like, it's just harder, right? It's harder to get someone to go to Cincinnati than it is to Tuscaloosa, right? Like, people want to play in the SEC, they want to play in the Big Twelve, right? If you say, if you say you're gonna you're going to be in a non-power five conference. It's just downgraded, right? Like those players are, those players are overlooked and they're a little bit disrespected. No, absolutely. And it, like you mentioned, it is so much harder to recruit at Cincinnati. So just the fact that they're able to, you know, even be in the talks of being in the college football playoffs is, is an impressive enough statement for me. And it's just the, the thing that makes it so hard for them this year is because there are other teams that are playing very well. Like, it, it it's if Cincinnati gets in and Oklahoma goes undefeated and doesn't get in, it's you'd feel like Oklahoma's getting a disservice done to them because you have a Heisman front runner at Oklahoma and you know they they could potentially go undefeated and having big wins. So it's just it's it's really I feel like this is such a difficult decision for the committee to make this year. Um, I really don't think Oregon gets in. Ohio State if they win out, it's hard to not put them in because of how well they've. Since that loss, they've just been playing so well, and C.J. Stroud's playing out of his mind. Alabama, we I mean, we know how Alabama goes, how the favoritism goes, and at the same time, yes, they are still one of the most dominant teams in college football, and I think they could beat any team in college football. I think Georgia is their biggest and best matchup, though, and obviously, like you said, Georgia's defense is legendary. They are the solidified number one seed. So there's there's four other teams that you have to really really, really hope that one of them loses a game. And I think if, if any one of those teams loses another game, Cincinnati's in 100% as long as they go undefeated. But it's like I said, it's just they have a much bigger to-do list to get in, and it's it creates an unfair expectation for them. But if they can make it in this season, I mean, that just making the playoffs is, is a big enough statement for me, for Cincinnati. They don't have to win a playoff game. Getting in is just unbelievably huge statement. Ed, why don't why don't we uh, bring our second guest onto the show? I'd like to welcome All American FCS offensive lineman Tristan Taylor. Tristan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Do you have any contact with Cooper Cup, who's a famous alumni? Uh, no, not really. Uh, he's always been like keep to himself kind of guy, so I don't really bother him. I just I used to ask his brother when he had coached here, like how he was doing and all that, and that was it. That's cool. Uh, what does it mean to have the most starts under your belt ever by an Eastern Washington Eagle? Um, it's pretty cool. I didn't even know I was going to break that record until it started getting closer and I saw saw it. But it was pretty cool. I got a game ball for breaking the record last game. What does this game against UC Davis mean to you? Uh, it's pretty much make or break it for playoffs for us. 
Um, and then it's 40 minutes from my hometown, so all my family will be there. What happened in your two-game losing skid? I just think as an offense, we didn't play to our standard. We were just like out of sync, kind of. And defense put us in really good positions. We just kept them on the field too long. So I think if we just come out and execute next game, we should uh, end that losing streak. Who's the best edge rusher you faced? Uh, So far this year, I'd probably say... Hardy from Montana State last game. Uh, I switched to right side to go against him the whole game, and I didn't give up a sack or anything. What made you choose Eastern Washington? Uh, I was very under-recruited in high school, I think. Uh, My biggest offer was UNLV, which we played this year. Um, But I just like winning, so that's why I went to Eastern Washington. What does it mean to you to be an FCS All-American? That was pretty much everything I was working for. Like, I thought I was good enough in the earlier years, but I wasn't, so I just kept grinding and grinding in the off season, And then in the spring, I finally got it. Who are some underclassmen we should keep an eye on as an NFL draft site? I'd say uh, Freddie Roberson, probably. He's a wide receiver on our team. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Hanson, he's a freshman left guard that I play next to he'll he'll be good in the coming years that's it that comes to my mind right away are you an NFL left tackle at the next level I personally think I could play all five positions but based off size and stuff probably not and I'm okay with it what do you love most about football um just the off-season grind like it just makes me feel good getting through workouts and just like knowing like you're getting better every single day. If there's one offensive lineman you look up to, um, you know, just film work or something, who who is that? Um, I always think that I was like uh, Elton Jenkins on the Packers. He can play all five positions, and so can I. So that's who I like to watch. Do you, do you see yourself as being kind of the versatile type, like a, maybe like kind of like a um, kind of Swiss Army knife, you know, maybe reserve and then work your way as a starter? Uh, I'm not, I don't ever want to be a reserve if I don't have to. So if I go to a team, I'm going to want to try and push for a starting position, whatever one they need me at. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of a player named Kelvin Beecham? No, I haven't. Uh, he's a seventh round pick and he played every position and then he ended up, uh, getting a job as a left tackle and then he got he did so well at that position he ended up getting left tackle money and he's still in the league right now but um good story that kind of had the similar similar disposition yeah i'll have to look him up yeah well anyway tristan thanks for being on the show and uh good luck this season yeah thank you Awesome. Thank you so much for joining our show. And that once again, that was Tristan Taylor, the uh, soon-to-be all-time snap leader at Eastern, Eastern Washington University. So um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us, Tristan. It was a great time having you. The Big 12 is is kind of cutting it close with a few teams. You know, we know the teams that don't necessarily have a chance in the Big 12 anymore. You know, Kansas, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, 
West Virginia. They're falling behind. But I, th- I think we kind of have a safe bet to say on who we think the Big 12 championship's going to be. The best teams out of the Big 12, at least in my eyes, are Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. But I wanted to get your opinion, Ed. Does Baylor have a chance to spoil this party? Yes, they they absolutely have a chance, especially this weekend. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is is that you know Oklahoma has won this division and this conference for 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 pretty much since I can remember, right? Like I can't even I can't even think back to who who was the last conference champion before Oklahoma. Um, and I don't even know if it was Texas. I don't. I don't. I don't think it was Texas. So it's been a while for any other team. You know, Oklahoma. I mean, their offense. I mean, you put a, you put you put Oklahoma's offense with Georgia's defense, and nobody can beat you. So um, I, I would say, I would say, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they're hosting Oklahoma this weekend. This is their chance. Um, you know, Oklahoma has a tough schedule the rest of the way. You know, Oklahoma's a great team. No, I agree. If if Baylor can somehow pull this win out this week, which they they might have a chance. Oklahoma's defense has to step up big time this week. I really think they do. I think this is a closer game than we're expecting, and I think it comes down to the wire. But if Oklahoma can pull this out uh, against Baylor, I think that really helps Oklahoma State out in the, in the long run. Um, and I I just. I think I, I really trust Caleb Williams to pull this one out against Baylor. I think he, it, you know, despite the you know inconsistency with the defense, I really, really believe in him to elevate this team and and take them to be the best team in the Big Twelve, one hundred percent. If Oklahoma wins out, they they absolutely need, like I was saying on the last part, they need to be part of the college football playoffs. Oklahoma. I mean, where do you where do you see Oklahoma State faring in all this? Do you think Oklahoma State? I know they have a really tough schedule ahead of them. I mean, they have to be. I I get TCU's not necessarily a powerhouse, but they they put up a good game last week, and then they have to beat Texas Tech, and then finish it out with Oklahoma. So Ed, what do you think on that final game of the season, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State? I know Oklahoma State has they've played some really really good football this season, and. You know, being a Big 12 matchup, it's never going to be a close one. Do they have any chance of winning this matchup? With Gundy, I just, I, I think they've, you know, they've, they've, they've blown it so many times. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's almost like a, a pattern, right? It's like, you know, there are just certain teams that just always seem to blow it when it comes to it. And Oklahoma State is that team. I mean, same thing last year. We thought, you know, I thought they were going to win the Big 12. And then uh, all of a sudden Oklahoma came back. So, um I have to go with history here, and I'm going to say Oklahoma wins that game. They're the superior team against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good matchup. I mean, even Ryan Aber could could agree with that. Oh, absolutely. I remember having Ryan Aber on here, and I, I, I think this is going to be a shootout. I really do. I think this is going to be a super high-scoring game, especially with, you know, the defensive inconsistencies. But Oklahoma wins this out, and Oklahoma wins the Big 12. Ed, why don't we uh, bring our last uh, guest on the show? I'm going to have you uh, take over from now. I'd like to welcome Dan Hope to the show. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. The playoff committee seems to really respect Ohio State. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that they're uh, fifth in the rankings right now, that's exactly where you want to be if you're Ohio State because one of the teams ahead of Ohio State right now is Michigan State, who Ohio State's going to have the chance to play. 
Ohio State's also going to play uh, seventh-ranked Michigan. So I think the path has been cleared now for Ohio State, but if Ohio State can win the rest of its games, it's going to be in the playoff. It's right in the position where it needs to be. Now, that's easier said than done because, again, as I just mentioned, they've got to beat two of the top seven teams in the country right now. Even these next couple games against Nebraska and Purdue are, are cakewalks. So uh, it's going to be a tough road these next five weeks to actually go undefeated. But if they can do that, uh, they're, they're right where they need to be to get into the playoff this year. What went wrong with the Oregon loss? Yeah, well, you know, it was early in the season. And, you know, the defense uh, definitely needed some time to work through some kinks. Uh, you know, I think since that game with Matt Barnes taking over defensive play calling from uh, Kerry Combs, I think that's made a big difference for the defense as well as the fact that a lot of these guys on the defense were so young. I mean, a lot of those guys that, who were playing in the Oregon game, they were really just playing in their second game, really, with extended playing time at Ohio State. And, and so I think, you know, the youth caught up to them there in that game on, on both sides of the ball. You know, the, the defense really struggled against the run in that game. The offense put up a lot of yards, but they weren't uh, finishing drives the way they needed to. But I think since then we've seen them hit their stride more and more. I think the defense has started to figure things out. I think the offense has, has found its groove. And so, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, you're going up against the team that's ranked fourth in the country right now so they, they were playing a really good team early in the year and, and they weren't quite ready to, to play a team like that but I think uh, they've gotten better since do you think this team uh, will have the maturity like young quarterback CJ Shroud um, you know going into the playoffs yeah I mean I, I wouldn't be worried about Stroud's maturity because I, I think Stroud has shown that he's somebody who uh, can, can roll for punches and who uh, never gets too high, never gets too low. I think he's got that demeanor you want in a quarterback where he, he doesn't get overly emotional about one play. He, he stays very level-headed and he just kind of moves on to the next play. And so I, I think you know he, he's a guy who, who has that maturity that you're looking for in a starting quarterback. And you know they, they've got you know a lot of other veteran players on that offense. You know guys like Chris Olave and Thayer Munford and. Nick Petit-Frere and, and Jeremy Ruckert and Garrett Wilson. And so I think all of that really helps in terms of helping a first-year quarterback settle in. And I think we've really seen him do that as the season has progressed. Who scares you more, Michigan or Michigan State? That's tough. I mean, I think both of those teams are going to give Ohio State very real competition. But I would lean toward Michigan State right now. I mean, for one, because of Kenneth Walker. I mean, the way Kenneth Walker is running right now, I mean, I think that's going to be the biggest test that Ohio State's run defense is going to face all season. I think, you know, they're the more dangerous offensive team in both, you know, running and passing. And so I think for an Ohio State defense that I think has gotten better, but I still don't think is great, I think that's a matchup that is dangerous for them. Uh, you know, I, I, my feeling is that game between Ohio State and Michigan State is probably going to be a pretty high-scoring game on both sides. I don't necessarily know how much Michigan State's defense can stop Ohio State, but I also think Michigan State's going to be able to put up some points on Ohio State. Talk to me about the impact of C.J. Shroud on this offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know what we've seen from C.J. is is – He's really, you know, gotten better as the years progress, which is exactly what you'd expect. 
from a guy who had barely played any college football before this season. Also, he was dealing with a shoulder injury. We just learned uh, this week that uh, he separated the AC joint in his shoulder in the season opener against Minnesota. So that's why, you know, those first few games, you could see him, you know, you know, swinging his arm around a lot, you know, grabbing at his shoulder a lot. He was playing through a, a real injury, and I think that affected him in those first few games. But, you know, since he took a week off against Akron and got that time to rest, we've seen him look a lot sharper. And in his, in his last four games, uh, he's thrown 15 touchdown passes with no interceptions. And so uh, he, he's been really sharp. I think he's done a really good job of distributing the ball around to his uh, different receivers and uh, of making plays in the passing game. He he's not a he's not you know much of a runner. He hasn't run the ball a lot. So I think if you if you ask Ohio State fans, the one knock that they might have on him is that uh, he he doesn't look to run very often. Even at times where it might look like he's got green grass in front of him and he could run, uh, he tends to stay in the pocket and look to throw. And so he doesn't he doesn't have that element that Justin Fields did, where he's a big threat with his legs, but in terms of passing the ball, uh, I, I think he's been excellent, especially for a guy who's in his first year as a starter. Is Gary Wilson the best player on this Buckeyes team? Man, I mean, he might be, but is he even the best wide receiver? That's what's tough. I mean, I mean, you've got three wide receivers who are absolutely elite, and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbun. I'd probably still lean towards saying that I think Chris Olave is the best player on this Ohio State football team. I just think uh, he, he's a fantastic wide receiver that does uh, so many different things well. But, I mean, you, you could make a case for any of those three guys. I mean, I think all three of those guys are, you know, well within the top players on this Ohio State football team. And when you put them all together, it, it means you, you've got the best receiving core in the country. And I think that's what makes this Ohio State offense so dangerous because there just aren't many teams that have secondaries that are going to be able to consistently match up with three receivers of that caliber on a play-to-play basis. Where does this year's interior of the defensive line rank among recent memory? I, I think it's I think it's right up there because you know Haskell Garrett has had a really good year. Tyleek Williams is a guy who's uh, come along really nicely as a true freshman and then I mean you saw against Penn State Jerron Cage making the play of the year uh, recovering a fumble returning it 57 yards for a touchdown uh, him and Antoine Jackson have both been really solid at the nose tackle spot uh, Teron Vincent's a guy who like still hasn't really quite broken out the way that uh, people have expected him to for years but he's a solid player so they, they've got a lot of depth there in that interior Ty Hamilton as well you know I don't know if they quite have that guy like a Tommy Togiai or a Devon Hamilton who was that really dominant nose tackle the last couple years but if you just look at the numbers at this point in the year uh, you know really since the first two games of the year Ohio State has been dominant against the run and they've also had a lot of pressure inside to where they've actually had more sacks from their defensive tackles than they've had from their defensive end so I think all in all it's been a very good year so far for the interior defensive line. Is Travion Henderson the best freshman on this team? Well, it's, it's close. It would have to be either him or Denzel Burke right now because Denzel Burke, he he started the season opener at cornerback, and he is 
pretty clearly become the number one cornerback on this team as a true freshman, which is almost unheard of at Ohio State for a true freshman to be the number one cornerback. So to me, it's neck and neck between those two guys. I mean, obviously Henderson gets the spotlight because of a position he plays and, and he's been fantastic. I mean, he's, he's already probably a top five running back in college football as a true freshman. And so he's been phenomenal, but I'd have to put Burke right up there with him because to play the position he plays, which is such a tough position and to be as good as he's been as a true freshman, uh, I've been extremely impressed by Denzel Burke. What does Thayer Munford mean to this running game? I think Thayer Munford means a lot to a lot of things for this team. I mean, I think for one, he's probably the guy who's the number one leader on this team, a guy who, you know, he's a fourth year starter for this team, which is not something you see a lot on the offensive line. So he's a guy who has so much experience that has so much respect within the locker room. But I think, you know, that's the number one thing is that, you know, he, he's a guy who is such a revered leader within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And then I think he's a guy who uh, really consistently does his job, both in the passing game and the running game as a blocker. And, you know, obviously he made an unselfish de- decision this year to, to move inside to guard, uh, even though he was one of the best tackles in the country last year. And, you know, t- to be honest, I think he was better at tackle last year than he's been at guard this year. I don't think he's been quite as dominant as a run blocker at guard as he was at tackle, but he still played well. And when you pair him with uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere and Dewan Jones and, and the job that they've done uh, at tackle, you know, Paris Johnson, another guy at guard. We've seen Matt Jones mix in there, uh, Luke Whipler starting at center. Uh, they didn't have a great game against Penn State, but really other than that, this offensive line has been one of the best in the country this year, and uh, they've done a really good job both in leading the way in the run game and in protecting C.J. Stroud in the pass game. Does Ohio State make the playoffs this year? I'll say yes because I still think that, you know, if I'm going to pick Ohio State to win, you know, individually each of its games remaining, I'm going to pick them to win. But I'm, but I'm not saying it's going to be easy because – uh, you know, but again, you got Michigan, you got Michigan State. Uh, you probably got another ranked team in the Big Ten championship game, and and they have no more margin for error. If, if Ohio State loses another game, they're not going to make the playoff. And so, uh, right now, I'm going to say that Ohio State does make the playoff, but I, I do think there's probably going to be a couple more tense moments for Ohio State fans here along the way. Dan, where can we find your work? Yeah, so you can go to elevenwarriors.com. That's where. All of my writing is, or you can follow me on Twitter at Dan underscore hope on Twitter. That's D-A-N underscore H-O-P-E. Dan, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And once again, folks, that was uh, 11 Warriors beat writer Dan Hope. So thank you so much for being on the show again, Dan. It was a great time having you. Ed, moving on. The spoil makers, Purdue spoil makers. There is a reason why they have that name. They just pulled off another upset against Michigan. I mean, Ed, if you what, what, let's put Purdue up, up against a top ten team every week, and guess what? They're going to be undefeated. What like Purdue just has this uncanny ability to to upset people. And man, what who's to say they don't upset Ohio State next week? But Ed, Michigan State loses to Purdue. What does this game mean for Purdue? What does it mean for Michigan State? And how did this happen? 
Well, Michigan State's swan song is over. I mean, they were the number three team in the country. Uh, they lose this game, and now it's it's they're not coming back into the playoff picture. They just don't have a tough enough schedule. I mean, they'd have to come back and somehow figure out. You know, Ohio State would have to lose, and um, you know, <laughs> if you have to rely on Ohio State to lose, that's exactly how a team like Michigan State won't make it. So, um, Michigan State blew it in this game. Uh, Purdue. I mean, this is their second win against a top five opponent in one season. I mean, that's that's no I don't think there's any other team in college football that can say that. No, it's and it was it was an incredibly impressive win at that. Aiden O'Connell is somebody that deserves a shout out right now. He was unreal. He was I mean, his playmaking ability was like on full display. I wanna go back to that first touchdown he had for anybody that got a chance to watch it, you might remember it. His ability to break out of the sack and then roll out to the right and just deliver the perfect pass, it's it's just it's exceptional. It's exceptional. It's um it was a, it should have been a dead play. It should have been a sack, but to keep his eyes downfield and turn a negative into a positive is it's a really impressive ability that Aiden O'Connell has. And this game was like full display of it. And I wanted to also point on the touch that he had on his ball. I mean that second touchdown pass he had to Brock Thompson. That was that was so clean. There's no other way to put it. He floated that in there. And that's that's a low completion percentage throw to to th- float it up over the secondary in the corner of the end zone. It is it was beautiful. You could not draw it up better than that. And you can't you can't even draw that playoff if you don't have a quarterback that can make that throw. And Aiden O'Connell was throwing uncoverable balls. I mean, it doesn't matter how good the defense was. It was just a great throw. But David Bell once again has proven himself to be one of the most talented receivers in the nation. I mean, that catch he had was on third and 10. It was ridiculous. The one where he's running to the sideline and caught it and literally looked like he was had all of his weight hovering out of bounds, was able to keep his balance, and then gain 15 more yards. It's just Purdue won in the playmaking aspect of that game. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good Kenneth Walker played because you're not going to beat Aiden O'Connell who could air it out for 500 with a ground game. You're just not. So the fact that Purdue was just able to be so explosive and make plays out of plays that should have been dead plays was why Purdue won this game. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think trick plays were a big were a big storyline in this game. I, th- I think there were three trick plays in this game that I think turned the tide. Yeah, and it, it also it's just when you get three trick plays completed on you, it just kind of kills your demeanor, right? Like, that, that's got to hurt, you know, your confidence, and it, it, you got to just feel defeated at one point. And another thing is Purdue was just excellent on conversions. You're, the, the ability to pick up first downs on third down and just con- consistently have successful first down plays, nine times out of ten, you are going to win the game when you convert that well. I mean, I seriously, I don't think I've seen a game where somebody's had that big of success converting and lost. And the thing is, you know, Michigan State didn't necessarily play a bad game. I mean, Peyton Thorne had himself a pretty solid game. His only pick was a fantastic defensive play. He just kind of lacked the same playmaking ability that uh, O'Connell had. And Kenneth Walker, you know, once again, why proved why he's the MVP of that Spartans football team. And like I said, he could only do so much, but he was the only reason any aspects of that offense were open. So don't discredit Kenneth Walker of of the Spartans because you know that that guy did everything he could to keep them in the game and they they Purdue had a hard time bringing him down. Kenneth Walker is one of the most talented running backs in football and you know even though he had a good game Purdue 
did what they had to do, I guess. They didn't win the game. So um, I will say, though, the Spartans, they are lucky that they didn't lose by 20. Their defense, like 20-plus, actually, because their defense was not good until the second half in the red zone. The first half and, you know, up until then, they they were having all the success they wanted. And then any time that Purdue got in the red zone, they just could not punch it into the end zone. So Michigan State, you know, that, that defense held strong um, second half every time that team was in the red zone. I think they there was 12 points, four field goals that they got. That, that should have been 28 extra points. So um, to be able to hold them was... was it was nice for Michigan State because this this game could have been a lot uglier than it really was. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say Kenneth Walker, I mean, great game where he had 23 carries for 146 yards, but because his team lost and because his team's probably not going to the college football playoff, probably won't be getting the Heisman Trophy this year. No, unfortunately not, but, you know, it, it's, been, it's been such a pleasure watching him this year. And th- this season, there's so many talented running backs, but Kenneth Walker has definitely been one of my favorite to watch. He's just, he has such a ridiculous combination of skill sets. I mean, his, uh, he's super elusive, but just his ability, when once he gets past that front seven, he's getting 40 yards at least every time. And, I mean, we, we watched a lot of Michigan State t- games together lately, and Kenneth Walker, every single game, he's breaking one off for 50, 60 yards. So it, it was, it's been awesome watching Kenneth Walker this year, and I, I honestly I can't rave enough about this guy. But um, before I get too carried away on all these running backs that I love, I think I'm going to cut us off, and I want to thank you all for you know tuning in to another episode of BlitzCast. Ed, it was a pleasure having you. I wanted to thank you for, for taking your time out and being on the show again, my friend. It's been fun. No, it's been a pleasure. I, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else, my man. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Blitzcast, and take care.